But I wonder as you keep writing, if the story might be reframing itself, you know, if there's a meaning making thread that's more compelling, that has more depth, that's more interesting than what your conscious mind has decided is the story. And that's usually where a memoir becomes mythic, becomes moving, becomes less, this is what I did, and this is what I did, and this is what I did in my life, and more, all of these things worked together in my life to bring me to this point where I made this discovery about myself. That was artist and writer Janelle Hardy. And she was talking about how writing our stories can be a truly transformative process, helping us heal and discover ourselves. Here's the thing. By the time we get to midlife, we've been through so many experiences. We're carrying stories of our past, some of which, who are we kidding, can use some healing and letting go. Am I right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Buckle up, my friend. Here we go. You're listening to Second Breaks, a show about life in the middle. My name's Lou Blazer. I'm a former management consultant and IT leader turned writer and podcaster, and of course, your host. And there's one thing you should know about me right away. I am not an expert on midlife. I'm on this journey just like you. So together with my guests, we're going to explore what it actually takes to navigate midlife, thrive in it, and turn it into the best phase of our lives. This podcast is brought to you by Midlife Cues, a digital publication for the over 40 about getting stronger, wiser, and bolder in our midlife. Check it out and subscribe for free at midlifecues.com. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. Today, we're going to talk about healing ourselves through writing, and specifically through memoir writing. Now, you may be thinking, you have absolutely no interest in writing or publishing a memoir. And I hear you, because I don't have an interest in publishing a memoir either. But before you tune out and switch away from this episode, give me a couple minutes and hear me out. By the time we reach midlife, we can literally write a book about our lives. Whether we'd want to or not is a different conversation, but we've been through a lot. We've gone through so many ebbs and flows. We've forgotten more than we remember. And there's no doubt about it. There are experiences, maybe even periods in our lives that have wounded us, left a scar or two. Who would want to relive those moments, right? Wouldn't it just be easier to just sweep them under the rug and forget them for all eternity? Some years ago, I went through a fairly challenging period that affected me physically, mentally, and emotionally. I might even go as far as to say those years rank highest on my list of difficult years. I told my therapist at that time, I just 
wanted to shove everything that had to do with those years down to the metaphorical basement, lock the door, and never ever go there. I didn't want to ever have to sift through those experiences. Didn't want the memories, didn't want the emotions that they will undoubtedly bring up. My therapist was wise. She didn't push me to talk about them. But over time, and little by little, I did manage to go down to that metaphorical basement and look inside some of those metaphorical boxes that I have stored away. There came a time when I was able to think back to those years and find the nuggets that helped me not only close that chapter of my life, but also gain some valuable perspective about myself, about who I am, what's important to me, and where I want to focus my energy. I was able to see as objectively as one can when you're in the center of the story, where I made mistakes, how I could have done differently, where I did right by me, and the decisions and actions that I took that made me really proud of myself. And there is no doubt that this healing process was only made possible because I somehow found my way to that basement, found a way to unclench, to let the emotions wash through me. Now, I didn't do it through writing, but after talking with my guest, Janelle Hardy, I can see now how writing could have helped me immensely. It's not about publishing a memoir, but rather the process of writing a memoir that can be transformative. Janelle Hardy is the host of the Personal Mythmaking Podcast. Her background is in writing, painting, dance, and anthropology. And for the past five years, she has been integrating her expertise and training into supporting people in their creative healing work via the alchemy of transformational memoir writing. Janelle teaches the art of personal mythmaking, and in this episode, we dive into why and how memoir writing can be a transformative and healing process. I would love to hear from you as you're listening to this episode. You can find me on Instagram at Lou Blazer. We all have many experiences in our life and not all of them are easy. And mm-hmm. actually one of the reasons why people long to write their memoirs and put it off is because they're um, scared that the painful parts of their life or the traumatic moments will re-traumatize them or overwhelm them if they start to write with them. So it is unavoidable. Writing memoir involves, or in my opinion, it should involve receiving healing support because it's unavoidable that you're going to bump up against memories and experiences. uh, Some you might have forgotten about and some you might really know are challenging. And if you want to write about them, you have, there, there's no way around avoiding the big feelings and experiences involved in that, right? So it's it's inherently a challenging process. It's also inherently incredibly rich and offers great opportunity for healing. And the reason I think it can be such a very healing process is that memoir is not autobiography. So memoir is not a linear list of the things you've done in your life from start to finish. Memoir is about working with a meaning-making theme, and this is really where the personal myth-making comes in. You choose a theme, and then you organize stories and experiences in your life related to that theme. And this is why there are memoirs that have written far more than one memoir, and they're always interesting. 
because if you orient around a theme, then the stories are all related to exploring and resolving a certain kind of tension or theme in your life. So Danny Shapiro is a great example of that. She She's written so many different memoirs that one is Inheritance, which is about fatherhood and discovering that her father wasn't genetically her father through doing a DNA test. Another is called Devotion, and it's about her search for a, a spirituality in her adult life after being raised in Orthodox Judaism, if I'm getting that right. Um, you know, so like reconciling the spirituality of her childhood and how she's going to claim that in a way that works for her with a little child. So all of the stories and explorations in each of these examples are related to just to that. When you work with folks, though, do you actually encourage them to to write like that traditional sort of idea of a memoir? Is that kind of what you encourage them to do? Or it's more like shorter essays and shorter explorations yeah. through our stories? It's a combination. Also, a lot of people... cut. Uh, half of my student body are people who really want to write their memoirs, and they kind of show up thinking of this book-length published memoir. Is is the idea most of us have of of what the possibility of memoir is? And the other half come in because they like writing and they really want a transformational process. They're not really interested in publishing memoir, but they enjoy the style. So what I actually encourage is and, and share is the. Poss the range of possibilities. So there is the book-length published memoir, or you can self-publish it. But you can also do a collection of essays, which is actually less daunting, even though it is usually just as much work in the long run as a book-length, but a collection of essays oriented around a meaning-making theme means you can focus on one essay at a time. And you can also submit those to literary journals and magazines, which you can't do if you're just doing a book length. So that's another option. I have a lot of visual artists that take my course, and some of them are really interested in doing graphic memoir. So mm. that's a really exciting option, right? I don't know if you caught it, but Janelle used the phrase there, myth-making theme. And when I asked her about it, she put me to task. Why don't you tell me what, how you understand it right now and let's explore from there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, I'm just parsing the words, right? So, um, meaning, making, you know, theme. And so I would imagine that it would be a collection of stories that I might pull together that together would form a story, a storyline, or a particular arc of meaning for me, of whatever it is that I'm trying to explore, you yeah. know? So, for example, if, if I might want to explore my relationship with men, for example, mm -hmm. and I might pull stories of my relationship with my dad or my relationship with my uncles or... Uh, male bosses and stuff like that. Is that what you mean or is that too literal? No, that's really it. And then is, let's stick with your example of stories about relationships with men. As you're pulling those stories out and as you're writing them, what you're going to, or what I encourage is to keep this little part of you 
playing the witness and the pattern spotter and you're going to be noticing what what's the theme in all these stories is there a common thread in in how i relate to these men in what kind of men these are in uh is there a theme in a certain uh quality of connection or perhaps lack of connection or longing that keeps showing up over and over well then that's your clue about a deeper meaning that you can actually make explicit and explore in your memoir in your writing so that's that's interesting too because when i write or attempt to write <laughs> fiction fictionalized stories there's always a plot like i know sort of the arc of the story but the way that you're describing it i would enter into the exercise of writing without necessarily knowing the pattern yet because mm -hmm. it, i wouldn't know the pattern until after i've written some of these stories right yes and sometimes people start writing thinking they're really clear on the pattern but <laughs> and i really encourage my students especially if they're very set on their idea of the pattern of their life i really encourage my students to be open to being wrong or to be open to yes the theme you've chosen is very compelling but i wonder as you keep writing if the story might be reframing itself you know if there's a meaning making thread that's more compelling that has more depth that's more interesting than what your what your conscious mind has decided is the story right mm -hmm. um, and that's usually where uh memoir becomes mythic becomes moving becomes less this is what i did and this is what i did and this is what i did in my life and more all of these things worked together in my life to bring me to this point where I made this discovery about myself. Now, I happen to like writing, like the physical act of putting pen to paper or fingers on the keyboard. But if you're thinking, okay, I'm buying this and I wanna try it, but do I actually have to write my stories? Can't I just think about them and reflect without writing them down? I got you covered, my friend. This is what Janelle had to say about that. That's such a good question. I don't get asked it very often. Well, thinking is one thing. Embodied writing, handwriting is another thing. Typing very fast. If you're a fast typer like I am, I can type almost as fast as I'm thinking things. That's a different thing. Voicing something out loud is different. So, so you can think of it like, if I'm only thinking, right, if I've got these thoughts in my mind and I'm yeah. chewing away in my intellect, I am not engaging all of the other parts of myself that will make the thing I'm chewing away trying to understand really real in the world. So this is maybe a sideways example, but if you're a creative person and you have lots of ideas, there's a danger of getting stuck in the head spinning with all these grand visions and ideas and being very frustrated because you're not getting them out in the world, whether it's a podcast, writing a book, uh, painting, doesn't matter. If the creative vision stays in your head and doesn't come out in the world, there's something missing. 
if all you're doing every day is your is your scribbling and drawing and painting and you're not thinking about it, that's a whole different process. Engaging more of the subconscious, making space for what wants to emerge outside of our conscious thinking mind, that's wonderful too, but it's not the whole thing. If we take what we're thinking about, our big grandiose vision, and then we combine it with the technical skills that we're slowly developing in whatever medium it is, and we bring the two together, then we start to have a relationship between big ideas and expression and offering into the world, not only for us to see, but for other people to see. And we, we have this experience of integrating the processes and how what comes out is not what we think it's going to be. It requires practice. Um, and the act of bringing it out into the world is a transformational process that changes the idea and it changes the kind of random scribbles and it refines itself into this thing that is um, from us but not fully of us. There's, there's this alchemy that happens in the creative process. And, the, and if we're only in our heads, so it's the same thing with the healing process. And I'll just clarify my kind of cultural context. I'm a white woman from Canada, living in a colonial country that speaks English, um, educated in the, the public school system, a Catholic school, actually. So from that perspective, from my perspective, from many, many people educated in a similar fashion in colonial English-speaking countries, for sure, North America, for sure, we're really stuck in our head. <laughs> and we totally, there's this idea that our body is only a vehicle to move our big brains around and, we, and, and our bodies have no wisdom. Therefore, we don't need to engage with anything that is of the physical or embodied. Um, and so... In healing journeys, in creative work, in a lot of things, there's a tendency to get really stuck in the head, ruminating and, and thinking, and then yes. thinking that that is all the work that we have to do. But the, the reality is that it's not. So we can do a lot of consuming of information and ideas when we're thinking that all we need to do is think. But all of that consumption, it might lead to a little bit of insight but it won't lead to the transformational shift that happens mm. when we do the work to, to bring our, ourselves into a different state. And for me, with my work, that's about bringing the body and the body psyche into partnership with the brain and creatively bringing it out of the head and onto paper into a story shape. Inviting mm -hmm. fairy tale and myth into the process to really be guided by these mythic archetypal energies that are more ancient than our individual lives and giving our brains a rest and not letting them drive the car. <laughs> yes. And you also used the word there that I, I guess that is the danger if we're only thinking, you use the word ruminating and as soon as you, you said it, I realized that that is the danger if, if I'm just, quote unquote, reflecting upon my stories, uh, minus the actual writing about it, is that there is 
I might fall into the trap of ruminating and just getting stuck with something in, in not finding my way out of it or my way through it. Oh, yes. And our ego is really a great partner with our thinking brain. And so our ego also doesn't want us to gain insight that will take away its power, you know? So right, right. it's easy to yeah. get stuck in those loops too. All right, exactly. So there's a question I'm really dying to ask, and you actually said something a little bit about it. Uh, it's just, you know, this idea of reframing. So, I mean, obviously in popular sort of, um, you know, uh, the culture these days, uh, pop psychology thing, there is this idea of reframing something, right? And so it, and to the point where it's almost nothing is ever a failure or nothing is ever bad because there's always a way to reframe it so that nothing is ever bad or nothing is ever a failure. And so I guess my question is, you know, is there a danger? Should we even guard against the danger of reframing a story that, you know, our experiences to the point where we've rewrit rewritten the actual story? Mm -hmm. That we've actually revised the story. Yeah. Is that something is that something we should even be wary about or, you know, conscious about? Yeah, well, that's a good point. So I think that, again, kind of back to this sort of Western North American dom dominant culture context, reframing is often a way to bypass and avoid emotions that are difficult and painful, sadness and grief, anger, yes. rage. And so if we rush to reframe in order to avoid feeling the feelings, then yes, we rewrite the story. Uh, but those feelings are still going to be waiting for us or the trauma that is still humming away, stuck in our systems. That doesn't go away. The reframing just gives us an illusion. You know, you could call it mm. toxic positivity. <laughs> There's a lot of that these days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really into love and light. I think I'm not mm -hmm. into high vibe. I... I don't, I think <laughs> just on a like practical perspective, would you rather listen to a high pitched hum <laughs> or, or uh, like a sexy diesel truck idling <laughs> nearby? In terms of the vibration, the literal vibration, the high pitched hum is, you know, it's, yeah. oh, awful. I yeah. mean, a diesel oh. engine running too long might be aggravating too, but it's more like a, it's deep right. it's a slower oscillation of sound it's more grounding and settling so i like to think of that in terms of um this conversation of reframing and bypassing and um rather than reframing rewriting stories in order to reframe in order to avoid i really love it when people really get raw and real about the actual embodied experience of the sadness, of the rage, they start to drop into themselves. The story gets so much richer. And so by deepening into the experience rather than 
scattering and avoiding by deepening into it, that's where the meaning making really starts to reveal itself. Although, of mm. course, there is a meaning making that can be found by noticing a pattern that we may have had of avoiding. And that's mm. an interesting mm. story, too. But what we don't want to do is kind of erase and delete parts of our story and our life. Right. You know, when I was preparing for our chat, that's the thing that was like, it's like this, this lie in my head that kept like buzzing. It's like, you know, but what, what is the line that we end up revising our history? Because if we, I guess the question is, is the goal by writing, I guess, it, you know, if my goal for writing my in memoir or my collection of essays is to end up feeling better, I might subconsciously and or consciously rewrite some of the things so that I end up actually feeling better. <laughs> but that's not what I'm hearing you say is that that's not actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. That's just like superficial feeling better because the reality of it is still there. Yeah. Did and I and if you're writing a memoir, you, you, most people have an idea that at some point they want other people to read it. Readers can tell when you are skimming the surface and avoiding and it's a boring story. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we, right. we all are really hungry when we're reading for a story that's going to sweep us away and take us along on someone else's meaning-making journey. Mm -hmm. And if, if we don't do that work in our explorations and our writing, mm -hmm. other people won't really want to read it. It's just not interesting. We can tell. You know, we can all tell when someone's avoiding the thing. Yeah. <laughs> On her website, JanelleHardy.com, Janelle provides a downloadable resource that gives us 10 memoir writing prompts for healing and transformation. But she was going to talk about a few during our conversation. Think about turning points in your life and try to describe the moment when you realize there was a turning point. That's one. But as a storyteller, you know, like try to avoid analyzing yourself. Instead, try to describe the experience in your writing. So there's a uh, sort of an overused phrase in writing, but it is also true. Show, don't tell. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Telling is important, but all telling and no showing is really dull. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the example is, I, if I were to say I was, I was really sad well then everyone has a subjective opinion and experience about sadness and they're going to pull that right into their heads in order to understand my statement if i say my sadness showed up in a certain tightening of my jaw and a narrowing of my lips and a turning away from social situations etc etc if i also describe how sadness shows up for me physically emotionally etc then the people reading that or listening are not going to pull their subjective experience of sadness and assume that's my experience. They're going to be invited into my experience because I've offered it to them. So if you think about writing down turning points, that's how you want to not analyze, but tell, tell a descriptive story about it. And that's, that's a true gift for um, anyone who 
reads our story because it's a beautiful thing to be invited into someone else's world, but we really need that invitation in through details. So one other, one or two other little writing prompts to get you started. This is a really powerful one and I often use it. It's fun. Tell a story about a time you opened a door and your life changed. There's always something. Wow. Mm -hmm. And do you, I mean, <laughs> so I don't know if this is a stupid follow-up question, but is that a literal opening of the door or figurative opening of the door? Or you leave it up to them to interpret what they mean by the opening of the door? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is where it gets fun. Um, go with literal first. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Go with literal yes, first yes. and try to describe the act of like the door itself, turning yes. that doorknob or pushing that bar on the door or whatever. Mm -hmm. One last mm -hmm. one. Um, Give yourself 10 minutes with a timer to mm -hmm. uh, look at your hand, top and bottom, and then start describing them by writing. Describing your hand? Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. And then as, so flow writing helps for this, try describing your hands. Like, and this is good practice for being descriptive in your writing. It's just, it's a good mm -hmm. practice exercise. But mm -hmm. spending that time looking at your hands, memories will then stories will start to pop up and then you can make a list of those stories and start writing them. Ooh, mm -hmm. that is interesting. Yeah. Yes, because I, on another uh, topic entirely, um, you've heard of Hilary Ray, right? Have you heard of Hilary oh, um, Ray? Yes, she works with story in a totally different yes, way. But yes. Different context, yeah. yes. But I was chatting with her a few days ago and one of the things that we were talking about is unearthing some of our personal stories. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her, like, I don't know, do I have those? Like, there's a, sometimes I feel like I don't want to have those yeah. interesting stories to tell. But this prompt that you just said, that's interesting, right? Because as yeah. you said, like, focusing on that and these, it sort of opens your mind to thinking about other stories. So, yeah, this is a perfect example the thought i don't have any interesting stories or maybe i'm boring or you know a lot of people actually have this fear they want to write memoir but worry that they're boring or not interesting and it's number one it's not true but that can stop you from doing it if you're believing it but number two that's all stuck in the head thoughts and shifting into starting from our body and moving into writing opens up so many options and opportunities that our brain can't pull up for us, but our body is just waiting for us to bring attention to it. And then it's like, here, here, this and this and this and this. Like, I've been waiting so long for you to pay attention to me. And it just offers up all of these memories and ideas. And when we're only in our head thinking, I don't have any stories. We can't tap into that. The second we move into our body, it's all there. It's all there. Oh my goodness, well, I can't wait. I would like to tap into that because <laughs> that's why I, when I think about creative writing, it's always fiction because I always, like, I don't have interesting stories to tell about my life. I think so, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would like to tap into that part of myself or part of, you know, the stories that are waiting mm -hmm. inside of me to be to just be relived or told or you know 
the mantra of Second Breaks is celebrate midlife. And it is a phrase that I've been exploring with my guests of late. What comes to your mind when you hear the phrase celebrate midlife? Well, I'm in a big midlife transition. I'm 42 and and my 18-year-old daughter has left the nest. So this is an interesting question because I, I feel like, whoop, I've just been in a wheelbarrow that dumped me out into midlife and oh wow, it is different. It is very different than before. Um, and so I think what Celebrate Midlife brings up for me is um, celebrating the not knowing and the knowing at the same time, how I feel very much more grounded in my sense of purpose and my sense of self. And that feels like a true gift of entering midlife. At the same time, that <laughs> I think getting older is also a process of realizing more and more how very little I know. And so settling into myself, the knowing of feeling solid in myself and being much more okay with the not knowing and being in the mystery of life. That's what celebrating midlife feels like for me. At 20, I was all tangled up in all of my uncomfortable ideas about myself and how life was going to be. And today, I feel paradoxically younger, lighter, and more free than I felt at 20. I believe that in midlife, we have a perfect opportunity to claim our personal narratives, to use our experiences to heal from past pain and disappointments, and to understand ourselves better so that we can live our midlife and beyond in the richest way possible. To paraphrase Oprah, to live a life that is the fullest expression of ourselves. To learn more about memoir writing and the healing process, check out Janelle's website, janellehardy.com, or follow her on Instagram at Janelle McKinnon Hardy. As always, you're going to find all the links and the highlights of this episode on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. Now, if you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, please share it with your friends. Tell them about this specific episode. Tell them about what you learned about memoir writing or about the podcast in general. You spreading the word about the show helps tremendously in growing our community of thriving midlifers, and I would be so episode, I'm going to be joined by career coach Sarah Baker Andrews. And in this upcoming episode, we're going to talk about career transitions in midlife, specifically those who are looking to return to work after a long break and those who have been downsized to let go. Now, I don't want you to miss the episode or any of the future episodes for that matter. So now is a great time to hit follow or subscribe on whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, right around the audio player, you're going to find some options for podcast apps as well. Okie dokie, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with Sarah Baker Andrews. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans.